This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card. At Amgen, our mission is to serve patients. As a biotechnology pioneer since 1980, Amgen was one of the first companies to realize the promise of this new science by bringing safe and effective novel therapeutics from lab to manufacturing plant to patient. Amgen therapeutics have changed the practice of medicine, helping millions of people around the world in the fight against cancer, kidney disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and other serious illnesses. With a deep and broad pipeline of potential new medicines, Amgen remains committed to moving science forward to dramatically improve people's lives. To learn more about our pioneering science, please visit our website at amgen.com. Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Innovations in Medicine, enhancing the medical community's knowledge of science and biotechnology. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. For more information about Amgen, visit Amgen.com. I'm Paul Rayburn. Drugs come with side effects, which are worse for some people than for others. But how do we tell ahead of time who will react badly? Researchers now have an unlikely answer first test the drugs in plants. Human responses to drugs are shared by other animals, by gorillas and chimps, dogs, laboratory mice, all the things that are studied in medical laboratories. And those responses to drugs and the genes that are responsible for them are also sometimes shared with plants. Half of all human disease genes are shared with a well-studied plant called Arabidopsis thaliana, sometimes called just Arabidopsis. It's the most widely studied laboratory plant, in essence the plant equivalent of the fruit fly or lab rat. Here to tell us about how Arabidopsis might be used to test drugs is Dr. Sean Cutler, Assistant Professor of Plant Cell Biology in the Department of Botany and Plant Science at the University of California in Riverside. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cutler. I know that you're really a molecular biologist and you're looking at this plant not for botanical reasons, but tell us a little bit about Arabidopsis. What is it and how did it become such an important laboratory subject? Well, it's a a very commonly occurring weed. So you can find it growing in roadsides and ditches around the world. It was chosen as a species for investigation as a genetic system. So originally it was identified as being very good for laboratory studies and identification of genes that control traits affecting plant growth and development. Is it because it's a simple plant or because it has the right characteristics? Why was it chosen? Oftentimes model systems, as they're called, these are the the systems that biologists all focus on to to learn a lot about, like fruit flies, are chosen because of a number of factors. The, The big ones in the case of Arabidopsis were that it has a very small genome. So identifying genes is a much faster and easier process in Arabidopsis than other plants. In addition, before Arabidopsis was the model that it now is, the corn or maize was was the real model genetic system in plants. And that has 
a very long generation time. It needs high temperatures to grow. And in about three months, we can get the results of one genetic experiment. So it has a, it's simple for lab growth. It's low cost, fast growing, has genome properties that make it attractive to for modern biological research. Now, it wouldn't surprise most people that other non-human primates like chimps and so forth share a lot of, we know that they share a lot of our genes of all kinds and that they would then share a lot of our disease genes. And, you know, it's a little bit surprising maybe that laboratory rats and mice share a lot of our genes, although many of us have gotten used to that because we know so much research is done in those animals. But how does it happen that Arabidopsis, which is so far removed. I mean, you're comparing us to a common weed now. How how does it share so many genes with us? Yeah, well, that's, you know, one of the really wonderful things about evolution and biology is that we all shared a common ancestor. By we, I mean, not just humans, but all life shared a common ancestor. Evolution tends to be just like in human invention. If there's a part lying around that's, you know, good in a new machine, we don't go and try to redesign the same part. We pick up that old part and reuse it in, in the new machine. And so evolution is this, you know, wonderful tinkerer that has been carving away at life, trying to make it best suited to whatever environment it's living in. And it started with the parts that were available to the common ancestors, you know, billions of years ago. At the end of the day, when you go inside and you look at a cell, at the, the molecules that make it work, the little molecular machines inside there that are, are making everything happen, they're not so different. I mean, there are some really big differences. Plants can take sunlight and convert that ultimately with water and carbon dioxide into sugar. Animals can't do that. So there are big differences in the molecular kinds of molecular machines in that respect. But if you look at an organism, an organelle like the peroxisome, this is a small compartment inside cells that is responsible for metabolizing fats. That existed in the common ancestor of all eukaryotes, and plants have peroxisomes, humans have peroxisomes, and there are many human diseases that are associated with defects in the function of that organelle. And so when you identify those human disease genes, they're part of the basic machinery that makes a cell work. And because that basic machinery is used in yeast and fruit flies and mice and and plants, you'll find very similar genes oftentimes in plants that have disease functions in humans. It's that whole toolkit and conservative nature of evolution that that generates these sometimes surprising similarities. Now, if we want to talk about testing drugs for side effects, are we interested in disease genes themselves, or are we interested in another bucket full of genes that are actually responsible for the side effects? Sometimes I should introduce a term here, So, and this is maybe a term that's familiar to clinicians. It's called pharmacogenetic variation. So within any species, there are always variation in the DNA code that you know, sometimes leads to phenotypic differences or differences, for example, in height or weight or whatever the trait is that's being measured. There's a genetic component to it almost always, and there's variation in the genes that control that trait, and that variation can manifest itself in a different outcome. The same is true for drugs. So there are enzymes and genes that are responsible for, for controlling and mediating how drugs work. Individuals vary in some of those genes, in the way those genes function, and that can create different responses to drugs. And this was sort of, it was figured out that there was this variable component to the genetics of drug responses in humans in the 50s, and it was given the special name pharmacogenetic variation, which is really just you know, it's a short form for saying the kind of variation, genetic variation that causes 
uh, variable drug responses. So that has been studied quite widely in humans. And what has been discovered from studying that is that not always, but most of the time, any two individuals may vary in enzymes, the sequence or the expression level or the amount of functional protein that's present for an enzyme that normally detoxifies a drug. And those variations would lead to, to different side effects. Most commonly what they do is they change the, the level in the serum of the active metabolite. So you may have high levels or lower levels with the same dose and the same environmental factors. Now what makes it so hard to study really systematically is that you know there's so many environmental factors coming in here you can't do controlled experiments in humans in the, in the same way you can in mice or other model systems. Let me pause for just a moment to remind listeners that this is ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Dr. Sean Cutler from the University of California at Riverside about what we can learn about new drugs by studying their effects in plants. So tell us a little bit now about the specifics of the experiments you did, which drugs you looked at, what you found. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you, my lab is, is interested in discovering not necessarily drugs, and for your audience, a drug is something you're going to administer clinically to a person. In my world, a drug is, is a molecule I can use to control the growth or development of my organism. And it's also a tool I can use to understand how my organism is working. So if I have a molecule and it causes the cells to, instead of grow really long, stay really short, my hypothesis would be that molecule or drug-like molecule is targeting some protein involved in growth. And I can use that molecule now to, to track down the molecular components involved in that growth process. And so a lot of times in research, even some molecules that are used clinically as drugs in humans, they're used as research tools to understand how cells work because drugs are so good at controlling the function of cells and the, the function of pathways and things like that. So my lab is involved in this, this research program of isolating new molecules using the same kinds of methods and technologies that are used to identify drugs, that you know, drug candidates for humans. But we work in plants and we're trying to figure out how plants grow because by understanding that we might help with things like biofuels and it's a basic biological question that interests us. So that's why we're looking for new drug-like molecules in plants. Now, one of the molecules you've looked at is hypostatin. I trust that has nothing to do with the statins that are given to lower cholesterol. Drugs get these, you know, suffixes like statin. And statin, usually in, in biology when people say something is a statin, it usually means it's stopping growth. Pharmacologically, the statins are things that target cholesterol, and in that context, you're right. But a lot of biologists will, will tag statin onto the end of a molecule, just to imply that it stops growth. So hypostatin stops the growth of, of the plant, of a part of a plant called the hypocaudal. So that's why we called it hypostatin. So we're excited about it because we think it, it's going to give us some new insight into how plant cells grow. But the part that links into the human drug realm is that in trying to understand how it worked, we had this hypothesis that, hey, there's a lot of variation from individual to individual in humans in drug responses. And it's really that general process is a lot known about it in humans, but maybe it occurs in other branches on the tree of life. So maybe fruit flies have variable responses to drugs. Maybe plants have variable responses to drugs. So we wanted to test that. And part of the reason we were interested 
there was really two reasons. One was that if this kind of pharmacogenetic variation is present across in these model systems like plants and flies, in our case, plants, then we reasoned we could use all the powerful genetic tools to identify new genes that contribute to pharmacogenetic variation. Well, that's about all the time we have. Uh, Thanks so much for talking to us about this very interesting work on how studies with plants, of all things, a very simple plant, can have important implications for medicines for humans. Our guest has been Dr. Sean Cutler from the University of California, Riverside. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. For comments and questions, send us an email. That's innovations at reachmd.com. Or visit us online at our newly revamped website, reachmd.com, where you can access all our shows via podcast and uh, find out what's coming up. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Innovations in Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. <laughs>